Thank you for listening to Willamette Community Church's sermon series in 2 Timothy. Join us as Pastor Scott takes us into chapter 4. Now I want to show you a few things today as we consider again this promise of life that God offers to us, especially in the face of darkness. This man is writing this in jail. His life is coming to an end. And yet it's an upbeat uh, letter written to a, a son in the faith, an apprentice, but it's really written to us. And so we're going to look at this today. Before we do that, I do want to say again, thank you for those of you who helped with Serve, Inc. yesterday. There were projects in Jefferson. There were projects at uh, Timber Ridge School here in Albany and the new Love, Inc. office here in town. Here's just a few of us that were working And I know I asked some of you, why aren't you wearing this shirt today? And you said, well, it stinks. You know, I mean, I I was working hard yesterday. Well, mine doesn't stink. I did work hard, really. But when I got there, they gave me this shirt. And before long, they said, you're one of the bossy types, aren't you? We want to give you a red shirt. So I saw, Mike, that you're wearing a red shirt, too. Okay. So, but my red shirt stinks a little bit. And so anyway, I got to be one of these bossy people and help people. And it's funny because I think they do that because I'm a pastor and some people may know me or something. But when it comes to doing, like, painting and yard work, I mean, I don't know much, right? And so anyway, most of the people from our church were following me, which is nice because they know that I don't know much. But there were a couple people that said, hey, Mr. Red Shirt, would you help me? And This one kid comes up to me and says, I don't know how to get the paint out of this big bucket into my little cup so I can paint. And I'm thinking, he doesn't know me because I'm not sure how to do this either. I said, well, I'm pretty, I just acted like I knew what I was doing. I said, you know, I think we just take this cap off of this big bucket. And when I bend over and take this cap off, it's as if this thing was a soda bottle that had been shaken up for quite a while. And I open this thing and then just paint all over me. I've got a game-worn shirt now with paint all over it. I had it on my face. And Anyway, I think he understood at this point, this guy probably doesn't know. I don't know how he got a red shirt. But anyway, I didn't wear my red shirt. But uh, we had a good time. I just want to say thank you for all of those who helped and and uh, for some of you, some people have even come up to me in, today and said, you know, I signed up and I didn't show up or I've forgotten. And I want you to know we ordered shirts for you. So next Sunday, we're going to have a work party at my house. And uh, <laughs> No, anyway, no, we're not going to do that. But anyway, it was a great turnout. Churches in our community getting together and saying, let's bless our community. And it was a good work day. All right. Well, anyway, let's get back to this. Uh, Today we're going to look at some final thoughts as the end draws near. And this is really Paul's final thoughts as his life comes to an end. This is the last recorded letter we have from the Apostle Paul. And uh, the end is drawing near for his life. He understands that. The end is drawing near to this letter. And as we see this today, and he's writing as he's writing to Timothy, we're also going to see that this letter is very much, again, for ourselves. Certainly it was for a young son in the faith, a young apprentice. He was passing off a baton saying, I know that my end is near. Uh, We we know that Paul then is uh, killed for his faith in Jesus sometime after this letter is finished. But this letter not only goes to Timothy, this letter is for us, and we will see that today. I'm going to call this Final Thoughts as the End Draws Near Part 2, if you're taking notes, because I said that last week when we looked at the first part of chapter 4. So let me do a super fast review of the first part of chapter 4 that we talked about last week. 
And I'm going to ask you to read with me, follow along as I read verses 1 and 2 of chapter 4. You got your Bible there? Verse 1 and 2, follow along. Paul says this, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Quite powerful words as he's finishing up this chapter. He says, listen, Timothy, you're going to meet Jesus. He is the judge of all humanity. And in light of his appearing, in light of all of this, the one who's going to judge us, your job is to preach the word, to proclaim his truths. And then if you would, go down to verse 5. In this section he says, As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. And we said this last week, and I, I want to say it again. We are called to preach the word and fulfill your ministry. Every single believer in Jesus Christ is called to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ and to fulfill our ministry. This isn't just for somebody who's on a stage on a Sunday morning, but if you are a believer in Jesus Christ and His Spirit lives in you, your job is to proclaim Jesus, to always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you for the hope that you have. How can you handle this situation? How are you dealing with this? And we're all called to say, listen, I'm a mess, really. But Jesus has saved me. Jesus has changed me. It's in him that I place my faith. And every one of us are called to proclaim this good news of Jesus and to fulfill our ministry. Some of us sometimes think, well, the ones who minister are the ones who have their names on the back of the worship program at church or the ones who work full-time for some ministry. But listen, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are a minister of Jesus Christ. So your home is to be a place of ministry. Your neighborhood is to be a place of ministry. You are called to minister wherever you go and work and live. It's not just when we serve our community and paint a school and pick weeds for them, but it is to happen all of the time. And Paul says, fulfill your ministry, all of us. Man, I could preach last week's message again. I'm having so much fun with that. Anyway, verse 8. We'll finish with what I said last week. In verse 8 then, he also said this. Paul says, there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved or longed for his appearing. And I love this because what Paul is saying is this, that there is a glorious future to be embraced. Every believer in Jesus Christ, you've got to know this, there is a glorious future to be embraced. Sometimes when you get discouraged, maybe it's watching the news, and I watched some of that this week. It's like, okay, there's going to be a demonstration, or there's going to be a march, and before long, police officers are being shot, and I'm like, wait a second, this is ugly. And then whether it's in my own home or my workplace or whatever, when we see ugly things, it's like, wait a second, life is just miserable, right? And it's in times like that especially that we're to remember that there is a glorious future that is to be embraced. You're to hold on to this right now. That if you're a follower in Jesus Christ, there's a glorious future to be embraced. And so there, Paul is concluding very powerfully. He's given a charge to Timothy. He's given a charge to us. And then as he finishes, and we'll see this today, he finishes with a very personalized conclusion. Very personal to Paul, very personal to Timothy, but you and I are going to see that there's application in here for us that is very personalized. 
So if you would, follow along as I read some of these verses, starting at verse 9. Paul says this to Timothy, Do your best to come to me soon. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Paul's saying, I'm stuck in this jail, Demas, he left. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Those probably were on missions. That's a good thing. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus in Troas, also the books, and above all the parchments. Verse 14, Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. I want to stop right there right now. And as you look at that, you might think, man, those names really don't mean anything to me. They did to Paul, and they did to Timothy. And when I look at that and understand that Paul, he's saying, I've got, I'm, I'm finishing this letter. This may be the last communication I have with you, Timothy. I don't even know if I'll ever see you again. As he finishes this, he starts talking about people, people he knew, people Timothy knew. And one of the final thoughts that Paul is expressing as I read this letter, it's this, that relationships are central to our life. If you're taking notes, I'd like you to write this down and consider this today, that relationships are central to our life. Paul finishes this strong letter filled with theology, filled with preaching and teaching, and he finishes here with his final thoughts with people who are on his mind, and people who are on his heart. And he's finishing because, on this note because relationships are central to life. Relationships are central to our purpose. What are we called to do in life? It has a lot to do with relationships. The hope that we have when we were singing about Jesus, our hope is in you, that's tied up into a relationship. And so relationships are central to life. And I'm going to have to define life for you because... Uh, I think sometimes we just get confused. What's life? Life's a board game that we play where we just go around, try to add the people into the back of the minivan. Whoever dies with the most money wins. I mean, that's what we've been told life is all about. Let me explain life because if relationships are central to life, what is life? Let me define it as this today. It is knowing and serving Jesus. Let me explain that a little bit. That life is about knowing and serving Jesus. When we gather together on a Sunday morning, we come together with this central idea that life for us is about knowing our maker. Life is about knowing our Savior. The guy who writes this, Paul, he says, and we talked about this during the Lent season, he says, I want to know Christ. This is my goal in life. I want to know him and the power of his resurrection. I just want to know him because that's what life is. For me to live is all about Christ. If I die, that's a good thing. And so relationships are central to life, and life is about knowing and serving Jesus. A single, this single relationship, we're going to see, it gives us security. This is our hope. This single relationship gives us purpose. Without this, we just, I'm not sure. I'm just going to follow the crowd, try to make a lot of money, buy a lot of things of myself, and then hopefully live a long time before I die. And if we're not understanding what life is about, life is understanding and knowing Jesus and serving him. 
I know that many of you in this room understand that and know that. If I were to ask you, pop quiz, what is life? You'd say, you know what? It's about knowing Jesus. It's to know him in greater and greater uh, uh, terms because I'm going to live with him forever and ever and ever. Some of you would understand that and believe that, that yes, life is about knowing and serving Jesus. Some of us sometimes kind of believe that. We believe it on Sundays and we believe it uh, at various times, but sometimes we're tempted to think, you know what, we, we have a foot in another world and we say, wait a second, I think life is about owning this and collecting this and watching this. And then, frankly, there are some of us in here who just, you, you haven't either heard enough about Jesus to know that life is about him. And I'm glad that you're checking this out, and I'm glad that you're investigating this. And I would hope even today you would understand more and more that life is about knowing your maker. Life is about knowing your Savior. We will see this today. And as Paul is nearing his own death, people are on his heart. People are on his mind because relationships are central to his life. And he knows they're central to our lives as well. Now, as I start thinking about relationships, I know that some of you are probably going, ah, humbug. Because you like just being by yourself. As I said this first service, I could see some people saying, yeah, I don't like being around people. Just give me a good book. Let me be a monk somewhere. I I really don't want relationships. I just want to hide by myself. I I don't know. Some of you are that way. I hate being by myself in that sense. I, I need relationships. They give life to me. My wife, on the other hand, she's just like, leave me alone. Lock me in a room at times. All right? I know that some of you are like that. But that is not the way we were meant. We were meant to have relationships. All of us were. As I started thinking about this, I I thought of a movie. It's about 15 years old now, Castaway. Remember that one? All right. So here's Tom Hanks, and he's uh, working for FedEx or something, plane crash in the middle of the ocean. He ends up on a deserted island, and he's there for a couple days, and he's just trying to survive. And then a few days turns into a few weeks and a few months. And before long, he's been there a few years. And he's just struggling with this. And he's like, man, I'm just trying to survive. And he's got a bad toothache. And you remember all of this. He found out this very important truth that relationships are central to life. Before long, he realizes, I need a friend, right? He had a picture of his girl back home, and he had that, but he's like, I need someone to talk to. What was the name of his friend? Wilson. You remember Wilson, all right? It's this volleyball that washes ashore. He gets mad one day, and his bloody hand, print, and he's like, hey, there's my buddy, Wilson. And he starts talking to Wilson, and Wilson keeps him going for a few years. Now, if I'm spoiling this for you, watch the movie. It's 15 years old. Come on. All right? (laughs) Not like it's a new movie. But Wilson gets lost out at sea, and he's crying out, Wilson! Because relationships are so central for us, whether we're on a deserted island or whether we're living here in the Willamette Valley, whether we're in a jail cell in Rome, Paul knew that relationships are central to life, and they are to us as well. I want to share with you a few reasons why relationships are central to life. First one I want to say is this, that relationships, they can bring healing. They can bring healing. 
to have somebody to listen to. I think this is what Tom Hanks finds on this island. I got somebody finally to listen to. To have someone speak into our lives. To someone, for someone to care for you. For someone to comfort you. Someone to point you to Jesus when you wander away, when you don't know him. In fact, if you started thinking about how you came to know Jesus, I'm going to guess that it was most likely through a relationship. It was somebody who was bringing healing to you, deep spiritual healing. Look what Paul says. Look at verse 9, if you would. I want to show you some of these verses. Verse 9, he says, do your best to come to me soon. He's talking to Timothy. Timothy, I know that you will bring me healing. We'll be able to talk if you come to me soon. You will bring healing to me if we can get together again. Verse 11, look at this. He says, Luke alone is with me. Luke is bringing healing to him. Mark, get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. He's going to bring healing to me. Go to verse 13. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books, and above all the parchments. You see, we have need for physical things. He says, tell someone to bring my jacket. It's almost wintertime. I'm going to be freezing in here in this stone pit. I have needs. You, through our relationship, can bring me physical healing. He says, bring me the books. He's talking about some of the copies of Scripture. We have so many copies of the Bible in this room right now. And Paul is saying, I I want a copy of that because if I have a copy of that, and it's going to come through a person, but I'm going to get a copy, and I'm going to get to read, and this will be healing for my soul and for my mind. All of these things, this is part of our healing. Go to verse 19, if you would. Here are people who he's had relationships with that, that bring healing. Greet Pris, uh, Priscilla, Aquila, and the household of Onesiphorus. Verse 21, do your best to come before winter, Timothy. Eubulus sends greetings to you. So do Prudence and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers. You see, he's reflecting on his close friends as the time is near for his departure. And he knows that relationships bring healing. I'm just reflecting on some of these friends, and they've brought so much healing to my life. Think for a moment of some of your friendships and how over the years they have brought you much healing. Somebody leading you to the Lord, somebody pulling you back, somebody encouraging you at the right time. Hopefully you've been that to many others as well. This is part of our purpose, is that we are to have relationships with one another, not only Christians, but with people who have yet to believe in Jesus, that we could bring healing in their lives. And I know some of you want to be hermits, but you are called also to be relational, to bring healing. And some of you relational people, it's not just so that we'd have fun and talk a lot, but that we would talk and bring healing. And Paul's reflecting on these relationships that have brought healing over his life. But as I look at this, relationships are also central to our life because they can bring hurt. Relationships are important to us because they bring hurt. Not that necessarily hurt is a good thing, but it's just this is part of life. Hurt happens. This is why relationships are so important because the loss of relationship causes a massive void. Think about this, if you would, the power, the importance of having good friends. 
You can think of the absence of that. People who have deserted you. People who have divorced you. People who have hurt you. Look at verse 10, if you would. Paul says this, For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me. He was with me for a while, but he said, you know what? I want to go do my own thing. I don't want to sit with you, Paul. I don't want to be connected to you. I might end up in jail. And he leaves him. That causes great hurt. You know this. It causes great hurt when someone choosing selfishness goes their own way. If you're married, you've hurt and you've been hurt most likely. Because someone has said, I'm going to be selfish for a season. This hurts. Look at verse 14, if you would. Alexander the coppersmith, he actually did me great harm. He didn't just desert me, but he did me great harm. I like what Paul says. He says, the Lord will repay him according to his deeds. But Timothy, beware of him, for he strongly opposed our message. Look at that and go, you know what? It's difficult when people stab us in the back. It is. I love how Paul reacts to this. He doesn't say, Timothy, go find him, and you lock him up. You pay him back for me. He says this, listen, he seriously did harm to me. You need to avoid him. But listen, I'm going to trust God that God will take care of him. That's a godly response to this. I imagine you could write the name of some people who have seriously harmed you. And part of you says, I want to get them back, or I want somebody else to get them back. And maybe you should avoid them, but ultimately you should entrust them to God. And as I look at this, I just see that relationships are so central to our life because they bring healing. And this is part of our purpose. And yet, relationships can bring so much hurt. And this shapes us. Part of our story is how we have been hurt and how we have responded to that. Those hurts that you've had, hopefully they are teachers to cause you to trust more and more in in God. So relationships, they're central to us partly because they bring hurt. And in that hurt, hopefully you would trust yourself to God even more. But as I read these final words of Paul, we also read this. And I want you to write this down, that the greatest relationship is found in Jesus. The greatest relationship is found in Jesus. This is what Paul is going to say. This is what the Word of God would teach us, that the greatest relationship is found in Jesus. Again, some of you, if I asked you and said, what is the greatest relationship you have? You would say, the greatest relationship I have is Jesus. What a friend I have in Jesus. He's my best friend. And we could say why, and you would say things like, well, he's always been faithful to me. I can tell you so many people who have not been faithful to me, but Jesus has. Some of you would say, yes, Jesus is the greatest relationship I have. I know that some of us would say, at times, Jesus is the greatest relationship I have. And yet sometimes we would live because we are broken people. Like, well, actually, it's this guy or this girl or this sports team or whatever. That's kind of the greatest relationship for a moment. 
But the greatest relationship you have to know is found in Jesus. I'm glad that some of you are here today, and I don't know all of your hearts, and I don't know your beliefs. Some of you are like, you know what? I just don't believe that Jesus is the greatest relationship. I'm glad that you think that now, because I'm glad that you're here now, because my prayer for you is that you would understand that this is the greatest relationship you can have. Whether you're young or old, you have to know that this is the greatest relationship that is out there. And as you start to think about it, you'd say, you know what, I've tried this relationship and this one and this one, and I keep finding myself empty. I wanted to be a mom. I thought that was the greatest relationship. And it's like, I'm still empty. I wanted to be a dad. I wanted to, I wanted to own a company and be the boss and have that relationship. And I'm still empty. This is the single greatest relationship we can have. Look at verse 16, if you would. Paul says this, at my first defense, no one came to stand by me. But all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. Again, he's trusting God with that. Verse 17, this is huge. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles, all the nations might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, he said. Jesus did. He stood by me. Paul mentioned some helpful relationships. Timothy, you've been a big help. In fact, I want to see you before winter. You're a big help to me. Luke's been helpful. Mark's been helpful. But it was the Lord Jesus who stood by me. He's always stood by me. He's always been there for me. He's always there to give me strength and power. He's always there. You see, the greatest relationship is found in Jesus, and I want to give you a few reasons why. Because one, he will strengthen you. This is one of the reasons that this is the single greatest relationship, is that he will strengthen you like no other. I was thinking of some of the relationships I have and how they strengthen me at times. I have a relationship with coffee, all right? Because coffee strengthens me. Got a sign right outside my office, and it says, all I need today is a little bit of coffee and a whole lot of Jesus. The idea is, Jesus, I need that, or coffee, I need that for some strength. All right, I had some this morning. I need a little physical boost, right? How many of you have had some coffee already today? All right, you did that because you didn't do it for the taste. Let's be honest, all right? We had the chocolate and vanilla for the taste, but we do it because we need some strength. Paul says that Jesus was there to strengthen me, to provide me supernatural power. He is the one that strengthens me. And he strengthens me always. And I go to him and he strengthens me constantly. He's faithful to do this. If you would, go back to chapter 2, verse 1 real quickly. Just back two chapters. Paul says this to Timothy. He says, you then, my son... Be strong in the grace of Christ Jesus. Or some of your Bibles would say, be strengthened by the grace of Christ Jesus. Paul's saying, Timothy, here's the deal. You have got to allow Jesus to strengthen you. Coffee's going to work for a bit. Relationships will work for a little bit. But what you need more than anything is you need Jesus to strengthen you. You need him to empower you. Your phone, mine's being charged right now in my office because it keeps dying. It needs to be strengthened and empowered. You and I as well. 
And we try so many different things. Okay, maybe I'll just try to sleep a little more, a little more coffee, try some stimulants, some drugs, whatever it might be. Just try some activities. That are, you know, listen, those things are good for moments, but what you need constantly is Jesus to strengthen you. There was another day when Paul was in another jail, and he's writing to the Philippian church, and he gets to the end of that letter and says this. Let's look at this verse on the screen here. He says this, I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. I, I've, I've been here and there. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger. I mean, there are times where I've had it all and then sometimes where I haven't had anything. Abundance and need. Here's what he says. I can do all things through him who strengthens me, who empowers me. I can handle all situations through Jesus Christ who empowers me. That's where I find my power. You see, some of you go through sicknesses, go through loved ones. I'll tell you, just in the last few days, I've heard of people who have died of cancer. I've heard of people who've had heart attacks. And it just weighs on us. How do we handle these things? It's not just coffee. We can handle these things and have great attitudes and actually be joyful and have peace through him who strengthens us. You say, Jesus, would you strengthen me? Paul says this to Timothy. He says this to us. And this greatest relationship of Jesus is partly because he will strengthen you as well. Whatever you're going through. Finances bad, he will strengthen you. Might not solve all your problems, but he'll strengthen you. Relationships going bad, he will strengthen you. Your body failing, your loved one's body is failing, he will strengthen you. Jesus empowers us to be content and even joyful in the toughest of situations. This I believe it was one of Paul's great themes, especially near the end of his life. Write this passage down if you would. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We've talked about it many times, but 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 and 10. He says this, when I get weak and I call out to Jesus, that's when he strengthens me. And so he says, I actually delight in hardships. I delight in insults. I delight in weakness. I delight in troubles and persecutions. Why would you do that? He says, because when I'm weak and at the end of my rope, when I call out to the Lord, he strengthens me. When I am weak, that's when he strengthens me and I become strong. Because let's just be honest here. When you and I have everything going, we don't call out to the Lord. On a good day when things are going well, we almost don't even need coffee. It's like, you know what, this is just going to be a good day. I'm fine on my own. But when you and I are sleep deprived, oh, we need the coffee. When you and I are broken in spirit, we call out to Jesus. I don't know where you're at, but I'm just going to guess that with you, because I can be there too a lot, is that I'm in times of weakness and hurt and pain. And God says, I want you there, actually. Because when you're there, you're going to call out to me. And when you're weak, I will strengthen you. And this is why this is the greatest relationship you can have. There's only one who can strengthen you with this supernatural power. I'd like you to look at verse 18 then. Verse 18, Paul says this, The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. 
I want to say this, that another reason why Jesus is the greatest relationship we can have, whether I'm reminding you of that or helping you understand this for the very first time, is that he will rescue you. He will rescue you. This is what Jesus does. He rescues. But let me ask you a question. What is Paul saying he will rescue me from? When Paul says the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed, is he thinking, you know what, I'm getting out of this prison. I can't wait. Is he saying, you know what, I'm not going to die? Well, this guy had been beat so many times for his faith. When's he, when he's saying the Lord will rescue me, what's he talking about? Is he just talking about that jail cell right then and there? I don't think so. He says this, I, the Lord will rescue me and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. You see, Paul knew that Jesus would rescue this body from eternal death. He's like, this tent, this outer shell, it's actually going to die. But he's going to rescue the true me, the soul of me. He's going to rescue me from eternal death. He's going to bring me into God's eternal kingdom. Sometimes you and I, when we get in trouble, we say, God, rescue me right now. I've done that many times. God, help me. Get me out of this. And sometimes he goes, nope. I will rescue you for all time, but I, I may not rescue out of, you out of this. Because actually, if you're crying out to me, that's kind of where I want you, and then I can strengthen you. But I will bring you the ultimate rescue at the proper time. Reminded me of a story. I went to Disneyland. I think my son was five at the time. And at the end of the day, we finally had enough guts to t do the Matterhorn. He had never done this before. I had. It scared me to death. But I, I finally maybe uh, tricked him to thinking it was just a little ride through a mountain. All right. So he's uh, five years old. He was a little scared of this stuff. We get in. We're there and I got my arms around him and we start going into this tunnel in the mountain and it's pitch black and all of a sudden I said I'm sorry son because I realized it was going to scare him to death and all of a sudden we start and we started going up and I was apologizing I'm sorry I'm sorry and I even said God would you just like take us out that was a bad decision I'm sorry just take us out of here he didn't all right we stayed in the little toboggan thing for the whole ride. And we were both crying out to Jesus and everything. Help us. Adam got his payback about 10 years later when he said, Dad, we're going on Space Mountain. That's far worse. I was crying out to Jesus the whole time. But God doesn't always rescue us from the immediate thing. You're saying, God, rescue me from this right now. Rescue me from cancer. And he says, I might not. God, rescue me from this marriage. And he says, I might not for a while. And he says, you say, God, rescue me from this financial situation or whatever. And he, he no, I, I'm not going to do that right now. But I am a God of rescue. And I don't want you to forget this, that I will rescue. And the thing that matters the most, I will rescue that if you've trusted me. And this is why this is the greatest relationship that we can have, is that because God is a God of rescue, and He will rescue you. Because no one else, no one else can rescue your soul from eternity. You see, we have a lot of relationships, and it's like, man, if I just find the right person, they will rescue me. Listen, no one's going to rescue your soul from eternity except Jesus. Jesus. 
No one's going to pay for your sins except Jesus. And you and I start thinking that we have, there's a better relationship out there. I'm just telling you, there isn't. There isn't. Let me then finish by looking at verse 22. Let's look at verse 22. Paul says this to Timothy. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. And as I look at this, I understand that the greatest relationship is found in Jesus because, one, he has been gracious to you, and he will continue to pour out grace to you. He will continue to do this. I want you to think about this, that God has been gracious to you. He's done this by offering up his son for you, but he will continue to pour out grace to you. He will continue to pour out gifts that none of us deserve. He will continue to pour that out to us. And that's why this is the greatest relationship. Sometimes we hurt people and they just, you know what? I'm just going to stop being good to you. That's not the way it is with God. It's not the way it is with His Son, Jesus. He will continue to pour out grace to you. And this is Paul's final remarks. Grace be with you. And it wasn't just, Timothy, grace be with you. But he's saying this, grace be with you and you and you and all of yous. As if this letter would be read for generations to come saying, oh, I just want you to know that the grace of God, he's been gracious to all of you and he will continue to pour out his grace to all of us. You, me, us. And as he is saying this, Paul is finishing with a blessing saying that God, who is compassionate, is also gracious. Don't forget this. These are his last words. Grace be with you. This God has been gracious to you. Don't forget it. This God will continue to pour out grace to you. You don't deserve it. He's going to keep pouring it out to you. You see, this God, he does not treat you as your sins deserve. If he treated us as our sins deserve, we'd all be gone right now. But he doesn't treat us as our sins deserve. He offers to every single one of us the greatest relationship. And he provides strength over and over and over. And he provides rescue at times. And he will provide rescue for all time. And he, all of these are signs of his amazing grace for you. Don't forget this. His amazing grace for you. See, this is a grace that saves us. Many of you have said, you know what? I need you, Jesus. That is grace that saves you, but it's grace that changes you. I'm not the person I was when I was younger. And it's not because I'm good. It's just his continued grace that he keeps pouring out on me has grown me to look more and more like Jesus. If you think it looks bad now, you should have seen me then, all right? But he keeps pouring out his grace to grow us and to change us. And this grace... It gives us a hope, gives us a future, regardless of where you're at right now. The face of any darkness you're facing gives you hope, and it gives you a future. We're going to conclude in a few moments by taking communion together today. We have two stations in the front and two in back. And what this is for us is just a time to remember again that God has been so gracious to us. That this is the greatest relationship you can have. Sometimes we just forget that. But we come to this table again today to remember that there was one who gave his body for us. There was one who shed his blood for us. 
Jesus said it this way. He says, greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. He says, I call you friends. There's no greater love, no greater relationship you can have than the one who laid down his life for you. And so as we eat, if you're a believer in Jesus, I invite you to come up to one of these four stations, grab a piece of bread. We're going to eat it and remember Jesus and the grace he poured out on us. We're going to drink a cup of juice to remember that he shed his blood for us for the forgiveness of our sins. So we call this communion. Some places call this the Lord's Supper. Some traditions have called it the Eucharist. I like this word Eucharist. The center of this word Eucharist, it's really where we get the word grace. Grace. This is what this is. It's a gift from God that none of us deserved. Gift of God. Grace. Let me show you one more passage. I want you to write this down. I want you to memorize this. I want you to, this to, to be in your heart and in your mind. Paul wrote this and he says, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus. And in case you don't, let me explain it some more. But he says, here's the grace of our Lord Jesus. That though he was rich, he had it all. Yet for your sake he became poor. So that you through his poverty could be rich. He's not talking about bank accounts. He's not talking about money that you would have in your wallet. He's talking about spiritual blessings. The one who had it all, who was with the Father, he gave it up. He walked this earth like us. He paid for our sins. He was very much broken in that sense. Poverty, he gave it all up. So us who were down here could have that, that we could have relationship, be the sons and daughters of the Most High God. That's a gift. That's grace. And today as you eat and drink, I want you to remember this grace. I want you to give thanks for this grace. You're not eating and drinking this because you got it figured out. It's because God has been so good to you and to me. As we reflect in just a moment and the worship team plays a song for us, I want you to thank God. I want you to thank God for this relationship. He has brought much healing to your life and he will continue to do that. He will strengthen you. He'll continue to do that. And as you do this, I want you to even ask God for help in relationships. Relationships are so central. This table just represents a relationship. But maybe you need to ask God and say, God, I'm still, I got a lot of hurt still. Would you help me to just trust it to you? Maybe you even need to confess, God, I have been hurtful. He'll put that on your heart. Confess. You talk to God during this time But ultimately, we are going to give thanks to God who's been gracious to you, and he always will. He will keep pouring out grace. He says, I'm not treating you as your sins deserve. I treated my son as your sins deserved, but that's not how I'm treating you. And when you and I turn to Jesus, whether this is for the first time today or if you have done this a long time ago, this gives us security. I come to this table with you and I'm just like, God, I don't deserve this. But I know that because of Jesus, I'm your son. And that will never change. That gives me security. That gives me hope. And I'll tell you, it gives me a purpose. My purpose then is to go out and show that love, to show that light to others. And so as we continually turn to him, and this is just another opportunity today to do that, May you sense God saying to you, this relationship gives you much security. 
This relationship gives you much hope. This relationship gives you much purpose in life. And so in your good times and in your tough times, and they're going to come today and this week and in the coming days, in light of any darkness you face, may you find your greatest purpose and may you find your greatest relationship in Jesus Christ through His promise of life. This is what this is about, that you would find a great purpose in Jesus, that you would find this great relationship in Jesus. This is my prayer for us. Would you bow your head and reflect for a moment with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are a relational God. You didn't just create us and say, go figure it out. Try to be good. You knew we couldn't. And you had a rescue plan for us, the giving of your son. God, as we read this last letter from Paul, just realize that relationships are so central. and, And Jesus, you are the greatest relationship we can have. And I know that many in this room know that. We just struggle to embrace that. And God, i got to think there are people in this room who have just not bought into that yet. God, would you show them that this is the single greatest relationship that anyone could have, that they could have. God, today, would you even cause people to say, Jesus, I need you today. And would you again pour out your grace on all of us. Help us as we remember. Help us to give thanks. Remind us of your grace to us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. In just a moment, uh, I'm going to invite you to come to one of these four stations. There will be people here that will pray for you if that's what you need. But take some time for a relationship. This is a relationship time. You and the Lord. Give thanks. Talk to him. Listen to the music. Sing with the music. But let this be a time where God speaks to your heart. I know that you may need some prayer. Ask for that. That's what they are here for today. So if you're a believer in Jesus, come forward and do this. Even if just today you said, Jesus, I need you for the first time, come and eat and drink with us. Remember the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening to Willamette Community Church's sermon series in 2 Timothy. Join us again next week as we continue our study.